We'll play it you. Hashtag SAFM Sound Awake. The founder of Siafunda is also a social entrepreneur. He's an innovator. He's a business coach, among other things. Hey, some people wear a lot of hats, eh? But they're doing it well. Good morning this morning. Thank you for waking up so early on Tuesday. Are you well, sir? No, I'm very well. Thank you. And yourself? Hey, man. We are partly cloudy, man. The, <laughs> the winter is here. And uh, hey, with the lockdown, it's been kind of difficult to find in the right clothes for this winter because it looks like it's going to bite us. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, bruh. Congratulations. The work that you guys are doing at Siafunda. Tell, talk to us about it. What is it that you guys do? Hmm. Well, what we're trying to do basically is to lower the barriers of um, education in South Africa. So our, our country is quite diverse in a lot of ways, and sometimes it's a good thing. But when you look at uh, access to opportunities, it's still very much divided across um, privilege. And having sort of been growing, grown up in the township and gone to public school, um, I know very well what that means. So one of the things that we try to do is to try and bridge the divide digitally. So firstly, we, we work with some of the best teachers in the country to develop digital content, uh, for me, particularly for math and science. Uh, we started with math and science, but now we're moving also to other subjects. Um, so that material is video, text, and also aggregates a whole lot of other content and make it available for learners, particularly in rural and township environments. This obviously was inspired by a lack somewhere. Teachers, books, libraries, your labs as well? Yes. Um, I mean, I I grew up in Mlazi. So um, I think for my last two years in high school, grade 11 and 12, we didn't have a math teacher. So um, I got four distinctions and then I, I still failed math. Which meant, obviously, as you know, that I wanted to do become, I wasn't able to get in um, that year. So what I did was I enrolled in a finishing school, upgraded my math, and after that, I was able to get in at UCT. So it, it's quite alarming how something as simple as having a math teacher or having a, a small a resource as, as, as a textbook or, you know, that can radically change someone's life. So that. That availability of a resource in a year after my matric allowed me to go from a guy in the township to, go to being able to study at UCT, which is basically what made it different as I'm talking to you here today. So, so there's so much potential that gets wasted um, and that gets lost along the lines in our township and, and, and rural environment. Um, so, you know, looking at my journey, I wanted to find a way to change that. And, and so that's why it, largely been about our focus has largely been in rural and township schools and seeing how what we can do in that space particularly uh, this you, you must have come as, as a lifesaver for uh, particularly people in the rural areas where the issue of electricity is still a challenge uh, yeah i mean electricity internet uh there's still so much that we still need to do i mean is there's vast difference that you get when you are going to places like Inganda, for instance. You know, uh, we've we've gone to schools where. So one of the things we do is we go in and we set up Wi-Fi infrastructure, so that learners are able to get access to our digital library. Mm. So the, the digital library is basically a technology we've developed, which comes.
comes preloaded with all the material. So the videos, the books, the papers, everything. And we create a Wi-Fi infrastructure around the school. So learners are able to go in and they download the material. But what we find is when you go to these areas, and so we also distribute tablets. So we give the school about 50 to 100 tablets to allow them to basically use those on a short loan basis. So during training, you can see that some of those learners have actually never touched the tablet. Yeah. And, and you can see the, the fear. Some of them are shaking as they're touching it because they're not quite sure what to do with it. And something as simple as registering um, on, a, on, a, on a platform can take, can take a while. So you sort of have to get a better understanding um, of the people you're dealing with. But that, that is a, a big difference is that you start to see that if we really want to change the status quo, technology is going to be a way for it. But there's still so much work to do in terms of availability of resources availability of training, not just for learners, but for teachers as well. And also just taking these resources and making them, shifting mindsets, especially in those spaces and making them accessible is going to be key. Wow. I mean, I can imagine some of us were intimidated by a simple desktop. With these youngsters, it's even worse. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, I remember the first time I I had a computer was at UCT first year. And I, I remember struggling to find the queue, and I had to suddenly now go from never having used a computer to now having to type 2,500 words these days and doing tutorials and everything online. And, and, and that's part of the problem, right, is that our learners are not being prepared enough for the harsh environment of university. So you see the university um, dropout rate uh, and how much our, our learners struggle. So one of the things that we're going to have to do is really start to try and embrace technology at an early stage and start working with those learners early on so that at least they're familiar with this kind of technology and they're able to then not be overwhelmed when they get to that level. Yeah, I mean, this is one gap when you fill it properly, you can make a very big change, eh? Definitely. And that's why we want to do operate in this space. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's education, so it's got a lot of challenges, but it's definitely worth, it, it, it's a worthy pursuit and, and something that we're very proud of. Let, let's talk gadgets now. Obviously, you, you mentioned um, tablets. Let, yes. let, let, obviously, you can't give them to everybody. Some people are going to be left out somehow because of, you know, availability. Mm-hmm. People, young people with cell phones, not everybody has a, a smartphone. In terms of accessing the content that you provide, people with, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a phone that is not so smart, as it were, uh, how, how do they go about accessing the content that uh, you produce? So um, our platform is basically accessible to any device that picks up Wi-Fi. So it could be the most basic uh, phone, as long as it picks up Wi-Fi, uh, whether it's phone, tablet, or laptop, you're able to get access to it. Um, with the cell phone industry in South Africa, we haven't, I mean, um, in, I think when we started around 2014, there were still a few Blackberries in the market. Um, but we, we started seeing a sharp decline in that. So I think, particularly in South Africa, because of the availability of cell phones and the cell phone contracts, it made it affordable. Um, what you're finding is that the phones that are available to learners, if they do have a phone, it's usually a smartphone. Right, is you hardly find the the phones with no Wi-Fi functionality at this at this point. 
I still um, have I still have my Iskat lamb, brother. You still have your, your Nokia thirty three ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we what you try to do because I mean that is a reality, right? So we we that's one of the reasons why when we set up a network in the school, we don't just set up a network, but we also give the school fifty to hundred subjects, right? So one of the things we do is we ask learners to bring their cell phones during registration. And then we start to look at the stats in during registration and seeing how many learners in each grade would have a phone. And that helps us determine whether to give the school 50 or 100 tablets. So those tablets stay in the school on a short loan basis. So learners during study period, during, you know, they can actually go to the, to the principal or to whomever or to the HOD and they could borrow those tablets and be able to use them. So, so the, that's the idea is that. If you have 100 tablets in the school that speculate among students, um, those who have cell phones will use their cell phones, but those who don't can be able to tap into those devices. So one of the things that we're going to be doing recently, you know, with the current reality is, is that, you know, 100 cell phones is enough, especially with metric going back to school. So we're going to be doing a drive to get people to donate their old cell phones and old tablets um, so that we can be able to push them out to those students who are in need. So, so you're finding that, particularly in deep rural areas, there's a much more of a need for these kind of cell phones, whereas in places like Umlaz, the Pine Town, there's less of a need because learners by grade 10, they start having cell phones already. So it's about just getting that, you know, looking at our numbers and seeing where the, the, the highest need is. Um, but using learners' cell phones is one of the key drivers of our platform because what we try to encourage is this technology is available. Um, it's much easier today to get a cell phone than it is to get a quality education. Right? So how do we then tap into the devices that are available, whether it's your sisters or your parents or your uncles, and be able to use it efficiently in, for academic purposes? So we have um, some of our schools, they, they allow learners, they speak to parents. So if a parent has a cell phone, a learner is able to bring a phone maybe on a Friday and they download the material that they need for the week. So when they're at home, they're using their mother's cell phone that already has the material. And when they're at school, they're using the tablet. So it's sort of been, being able to try to look at the reality of our learners and then being able to say, in that context, how do we then tap into the available resources? Not just of the learners, but also the people around the learners. Question is, where were you when I was in school? Is uh, okay? <laughs> Uh, obviously what you're talking about requires huge investment really and you're talking big bucks here where does the money come in are you doing it on your own or do you have a partner you you are working with to be able to provide these much needed uh, resources yeah um you're right it definitely requires a, a lot um but to to be honest for the first three years when we started this we started in 2014 um it was quite hard to access funding, right? Because the, if you go to the institutions that are supposed to provide funding for, for, for companies, right, it's much easier to get funding for something that's known. Um, like if you want to start maybe a laundromat or, you know, a saloon, it's easier to tap into the funds or, uh, of the MIDA because there's a template for it. You know, but when it comes to new innovation and new technology, we you first have to find a way to prove your system, develop it, and somehow create a name before anybody can be able to fund it. Yes. So we had to operate for the first three years without any funding. Um, 
And we had to really find a way to get creative. One of the things I used to do is because, you know, you have to build credibility. You have to find a way to prove your concept before yes. anybody can come in. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you need money to be able to do all those things. <laughs> and you got to survive in the process as well. And, and you got to survive. You got to survive. So, you know, I, I had to find a, very, a way to be really creative. And I think that's one of the key things about entrepreneurship is that, um, the perceived support that's there may not always be there or it may not always be available, but you have to find a way to persevere through it and you have to get creative. Mm. So one of the things I used to do was to, to because uh, I was in incubators like the Branson Center, so I would find other entrepreneurs there who um, who have companies and who need a gap. So I would sort of do an assessment of their business and see what they need. So there were times when I was working for six different companies at the same time. So I'd be doing admin for one company, I'd be doing, you know, sales for another company, and you end 2,500 here, there. Some of them, I wasn't even getting paid, but it was a conversation to say, maybe you develop my website, and I'm going to get you clients. So I had to get really creative to find a way to develop all of this without money, up until to the point where we were credible enough to be able to go to pitching competitions and get, the, and get our name out there. And after we won a few competitions, and and, uh, and and then I was able to then build that credibility, and then we were able to to raise funds. So we had our first investment, uh, 2016, and then that allowed us to sort of build the basic, uh, you know, uh, pro prototype, and then be able to identify the teachers and develop the videos because at that time. It was quite difficult to actually get people to buy into the concept of developing video tutorials in English and English. Mm. Because everyone thought, why don't you just use Khan Academy material? And, and what we used to say is, you know, we need to develop something unique for the South African learner, right? Our content is localized in terms of language, right? Uh, because the reality is learners use English as a second or third language. So we have to actually break down the language barrier and be able to bring down the, the, content, the, the contents to their level. But at the same time, the context needs to be relevant so that learners are not just cramming uh, the content, but they're able to interact with it. So making examples relevant to a learner who's coming from a rural environment, you know. For instance, if you're explaining science, in most of the books, it will tell you about things that are completely irrelevant to a learner in that context. Uh, but what we try to do is simplify it as much as possible to something as simple as if you're at home and you're chopping onions, you're increasing the area surface. If you're making sugar water and you're using a, steer, uh, using a spoon to steer, that's a catalyst because it facilitates the rate of reaction but doesn't get involved. So you really have to bring these abstract concepts uh, to the learner's level, to the context of their life so that they be better able to understand it. So, so now when you're going and you, you're pitching that and you're saying, we didn't manage to develop video tutorials in the, in, in, where we code switch between languages, people are just like, yeah, but English is the official language. How is that going to work? So we had to really <laughs> <laughs> sort of believe in that. I mean, we had a lot of people that we respected in the industry telling mm -hmm. us that mm -hmm. this was not a way to go. This is wrong. We are dumbing down learners because uh, or we're not teaching them uh, by code switching. And and funny thing is now that's actually the direction that the department is going in, and it's something that we started five years ago, right? So now everyone's mindset is shifting because the reality is, you know, if you it's more about understanding the concept. Mm. Once a learner understands the concept, uh, because when you code switch between the two languages, you are teaching in English, but at the same time you understand that 
when the learner, when they, when learners hear the word friction, you have to be able to explain to them in this what is friction, and then bring it back to English so that they understand the concepts and they're able to translate it. Um, so it, it, it was, you know, it was quite tough being able to push uh, that kind of radical thinking and be able to get funding at the same time and get the support. But wow. I think we, we had to be really persistent because we, we knew that this was uh, the way to go. Partly because, you know, if you go into uh, any radio program or you go into any of the extra class programs or any of the schools where the teachers are getting on saying results and you look at how they're doing it, it's exactly this concept. You know, they code switch between languages and they localize the examples and they, and they make it relevant to the learner. But somehow, as much as that was happening in some of the classrooms, it was missing in the digital space, and it was missing in the mainstream media, and that's what we wanted to bring. I'm, I'm fascinated by the way you're able to bridge the gap uh, between languages, but at the same time, you're able to marry concepts and make them make sense so much that when a, led, a learner is confronted with an English news uh, question paper, they'll be able to really... Um, understand the instructions and give the required information. I mean, that, that's a system that used to be used then. It sort of, sort of like fell by the wayside and you brought it back and it makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah, you know, we've got to stick to the basics. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It, it is a, basically a system that was being used. I mean, if you look at uh, and you work with um, experienced teachers, um, and uh, the ones who were basically teachers who've been in the system for 20 plus years. And, you know, that, that's precisely how they're doing it. Um, so, so we have to be open-minded enough to say what we've been doing and this new way of doing things is not working and we've seen a decline in learner performance throughout. So we should be open enough to try new things. And even if we something, sometimes bringing back some of the old things to say, you know, how, how do we, instead of reinventing the wheel, how do we bring it back so that at the end of the day, our learners benefit from it? Interesting. Now, let's talk content producers. Obviously, you're talking maybe retired <coughs> teachers, um, teachers you are probably bringing back into uh, the game. Is it only academics or is it also professionals as well to have the kind of rounded student, as it were, so that when they hit first year, if, they hit it as a rounded person. So in terms of the content development, one of the, when we were doing auditions, we actually tried that aspect where we, we interviewed. So we looked at the department, top performing teachers, and we, you know, um, we looked at um, the teachers who run radio program, extra pro, uh, holiday camp, and we interviewed a lot of them. And what we found was that um, that included university professors, by the way. Um, but what we found is that teachers who are not currently in the classroom tended to be a little bit uh, not up to date with the current classroom dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, it became a rule that we are not going to work with retired teachers because the concept and the content has changed so much that we needed it to be relevant, right, uh, for that particular time. So we worked with the most experienced and the most performing uh, teachers, but who are currently in the classroom. Because um, also those teachers needed to work with uh, the subject advisors in terms of making sure that the curriculum was on point. So you found that retired teachers, there's some concepts that we knew that we were not quite familiar with. 
So, so they had to be relevant. Um, and then in terms of the content, so we started with math and science. And then in terms of developing the video material, because sometimes you got to look for the biggest problem and then say, that's what I'm going to take ahead on. Right. Um, and, and that was, for me, what I believe was the main barrier for learners getting into university. You know, if you don't have math and you don't have science, it limits your options. Uh, so we wanted to fix that problem first. Um, and then after that, we started then partnering with other publishers and other content providers to bring in more content. So currently our platform has got all subjects. Uh, in terms of the video material that we've developed, um, it's math and science, but it also has past papers, books, study guides, um, audio material. So all the podcasts from different radio stations where teachers come in to teach, we've also collected all that material and we put it up in our platform and, and then put it up as well on the, on the digital platform. So, and what we've been doing now is putting together, so beyond academics, right? Um, is to now, we're putting together a library of additional content, uh, focusing on entrepreneurship, financial literacy, um, as well as, um, as health and nutrition. So, so that's some of the areas where we want, we, we're branching out into. Essentially, um, what we have is a content distribution platform. So if there's content out there that's relevant for the learner, because we try to make sure that we don't end up putting in anything that's going to be detrimental to the learner. Mm. Um, but anything that gives the learner the skills and the capacity to create. So if it's digital skills, programming content, if it's entrepreneurship, if it's financial literacy, those are things that give the learner the ability to create. So they can, even if they go to university, they, they have a practical skill that they can use. Even if they don't, they can develop a website. They can be able to, if they understand finances, they can be able to create something and they can understand entrepreneurship. So, so what we're trying to do is to say, beyond academics, what other material can we put up there? Zaken, would, would I be correct that uh, you guys were ready for COVID-19 long before it hit? Because obviously, <laughs> this is the we, way everything is going. <laughs> in, in theory, that's, I mean, we, 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 we saw that we, we didn't really see it in the context of an pandemic, of course. But um, we tried to look at it from a point of, um, you know, you got to think five years ahead in your planning. In anything you're creating, it's not so much about the current reality, but you got to be able to see what's going to happen. And for me, I looked at the mobile technology space in terms of what are the current challenges and how is that going to pro proceed moving forward. Um, but when COVID-19 came through, I mean, it did create, um, it did validate in a lot of ways what we've been trying to do. And it did help facilitate the shift in terms of thinking and um even with the department and with teachers, because a lot of it has been about, okay, so um, things like cell phone policy, right? So you have schools that don't allow children to have cell phones yes, at yeah. all. And, and so we've sort of been trying to, to, to preach that, to say, listen, there is a way to allow learners to use these devices in an efficient way without it disrupting the school environment. Absolutely. Um, you know, but you can't just ban them. And say they're not allowed because you know they said they'll go to university and if they're not trained on how to be responsible digital citizens it's going to be detrimental to their future 
Quickly um, talk to us about uh, publishing issues because obviously there's a whole lot of content. Some people are very protective of, uh, you know, the, the intellectual property, those type of things. How is that for you? Because obviously uh, you also have investment from other partners, probably in terms of money, in terms of uh, software and the like. In terms of publishing, how, how is it for you there? How are you manage in that space? We go around them. <laughs> um, the truth is, Anybody who, so creating content is, there's, there's a lot of content that's out there that you can be able to tap into. Um, so there's, 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 there's content that publishers have, and then there's content that teachers develop, right? There's content in the school. Some of the retired teachers develop their own summaries. Um, some teachers just who run extra programs are able to create their own material. Um, so what, so we've, got, we've got this in two ways. So one of the things that we developed, so we've got content that's aggregated from different so different teachers, the current teachers in our schools, um, as well as different partners within the department. So all the material that's in the Department of Education, uh, as well as other content providers, whatever is open source and is free, we take all of that information, including uh, free textbooks, uh, PISA trackers, and curriculum guides, and all of that material. Zaken. Okay. Yes. Yes, this this time is very jealous. But I like yep. the way you you say you go around it. That's very clever. Lawyer speak there. You're spending <laughs> time with uh, very educated people. Um, obviously, I'm I'm hoping this can you know be nationwide because I know you you're based in in KZN. I hope this can be nationwide as well. And I know that a lot of parents, teachers, and other interested parties would love to know more. It's just that we have a time constraint. How can people get hold of you and, and obviously and, you know, look at the possibilities of spreading this nationwide? Because you've been at this for quite some time. You've got it better. Everybody just woken up to it now uh, because of the pressures of COVID-19. You seem to have benchmarked it to a point, which is fantastic. Obviously, yes. a lot of people want to talk to you. How do we get hold of you for more? Um, well, you can go to www.siafunda.co.za. So the Siafunda is S-Y-A-F-U-N-D-A. It doesn't have an I. Um, so through our website, um, you can be able to send us a message or you can basically all our information would be there. Um, so the website again is www.siafunda. Power to your hands. You and your team are onto something good. You have been having it. You've been doing it. <laughs> and we like that idea. Thank you ever so much for joining us because we'll talk a lot more because I think uh, there's a whole lot of possibilities here and uh, more talk will be needed. So thank you for joining us and wishing you success and more investment in uh, your endeavors. Definitely. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. The founder right. of Asia Funda. He's a social entrepreneur, innovator, business coach, and the likes. So, Zakeni Ngubo. Hashtag SAFM Sound Awake.